I have ambulances literally like hovering through my neighborhood every, I would say about three times on average per day, if not more. Um, I wake up to the sirens, I go to sleep with the sirens and it's kind of a lot. I am always kind of in awe and somewhat always surprised by the people who agree to chat with me, just uh, the caliber of people, I suppose, uh, that I know, um, and I'm always so blessed, and uh, I was very, very pleased when uh, I asked Jose Wilson, uh, a math teacher from New York City, to come on and chat with me, and uh, Jose is a really a renowned educator, uh, math teacher, kind of primarily uh, leading the Educolor movement, uh, writer, prolific writer, uh, really, uh, uh, I guess I would put him in the camp of, of uh, leading progressive educators. And uh, the fact that he's in New York City, I think, uh, is uh, particularly relevant at this time. And so it was my privilege to just get some insights from Jose, his experience, and uh, what he's dealing with with um, COVID-19. Well, welcome everybody to another edition of What's Happening, uh, Education and COVID-19. And uh, I, I say this every time, I'm, I'm very pleased and privileged, but it, it really is in this case an honor to uh, have uh, Jose Wilson joining me today. Uh, Jose is a prolific author, writer in general, but he's, he probably mostly identifies himself as a teacher. Um, and uh, he is in New York City. And so uh, I was, uh, as I'm trying to sort of cast a net on what's happening across the world and in various parts of North America specifically. Uh, I thought he'd be a great person to have and share share what's happening in his world and his world around him. So Jose, do you want to just give a better introduction than I gave to yourself so people have a more of a context of, of who you are and what you do? I mean, thank you for having me. <laughs> um, that, that was pretty spot on, but I'll tell people right now, my name is Jose Wilson. I teach uh, middle schoolers, uh, math for the better. I've been doing that for the better part of 15 years in the Washington Heights neighborhood of New York City, uh, United States, as it were. And in addition to doing teaching full time, mind you, um, though this is kind of a complex time to be doing that, um, I'm also um, the executive director of EduColor, which is an organization dedicated to race and social justice issues in education and. Yes, as you said, I'm also the author of This Is Not a Test, a new narrative on race, class, and education, and any number of things out there. In other words, I just I just feel like I do too much. But um, <laughs> in any case, I'm glad to be on. Well, we appreciate, again, I know uh, your work with EduColor, and also your your, your book is uh, generates a lot of um, uh, a lot of insights that uh, we in the education community desperately needs. So we thank you for that. But let me start by asking you, uh, well, let's ask you, how are you doing? Just let's, let's start there. How are you doing? Right now I'm doing fine. Um, and that's, that says a lot. I think I've gone through any number of waves where, you know, I've gone through the grief. I've gone through some elements of depression. I've gone through some elements of like joy and ebullience. Um, and, you know, the joyous parts come from any any points where I felt some sort of like community love of some sort. So last night was really awesome in that we were able to gather about 800 people plus to talk about math and social justice through the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. And that was really awesome. But then the grief part comes when 
I have ambulances literally like hovering through my neighborhood every two to three times. I would say about three times on average per day, if not more. Um, I wake up to the sirens. I go to sleep with the sirens and it's kind of a lot. So um, it goes up and down. It undulates. Well, and, and if you don't mind, give us a little bit more of the, of the New York City vibe and context right now. Of course, you know, we, we, uh, we hear a lot about it on the news, but uh, I haven't spoken with anybody who's, I mean, you just described a little bit of, of what it's like living in there. But, you know, from, from a, and, and even from an education perspective, you know, like thinking about your students and thinking about what they're going through, that might be a little different than maybe some of us in, in less affected areas. Well, it's interesting because I feel like for the most part, what's gotten out is that New York City is super quiet, which more or less it is. Most people are trying to stay at home. Most people are trying to abide by uh, the, the physical distancing laws, and I'm pretty happy with that element. At the same time, I'm also in a neighborhood that is you know, predominantly lower, lower class, so a lot of the folks do not necessarily have the choice but to go out. And they have to go out because they have to get food or they work at the grocery stores or they're basically helping to run the city while the city is yeah. not running. And that's a pretty big deal. I think that kind of goes underreported. And until more recently, when we started to look at the racial disparities in COVID cases, um, I would say, uh, and this is me living in Harlem, which is maybe a mile away from Washington Heights, but it's a similar vibe. People in Washington Heights, I mean, you have over 700, 800 cases probably at this point throughout the neighborhood and that's affecting my students directly. I've had no less than three students who have told me that their their father or their parent had uh, passed away from the disease and probably a few more relatives that actually have it currently. Um, and it's so just it's just so fascinating because you know we've known about these particular disparities before uh, COVID and before the pandemic and before all the governors told us to shut things down. But I mean, at this point in time, it just gets very real when it starts clashing with this digital classroom that we have, you know, and I'm sure you'll ask me about this later, but it just feels like you flip over an entire school system, the, the nation's largest public school system, and you flip it completely over into an online situation. And, you know, naturally, you're going to have these disparities reveal themselves. Well, and this is the thing that I'm that I'm learning and, and becoming more aware of is like, yeah, everybody understands that there's equity issues. That's not a brand new conversation. Uh, but the, I think for me, it's, it's hitting me in terms of the depth uh, and the breadth of them that it's like, holy crap. <laughs> I mean, it is it is just re it is real. Right. Because you can kind of hide. I mean, you, yeah, you know, the kid goes home and he doesn't have a great there's not stuff going on there. But you distance yourself from it, right? Because mm -hmm. it's school time and it's home time. Well, now it's all the same. And so like we're, you know, inviting ourselves sometimes <laughs> a little bit forcefully into people's homes, right? And, and we're doing it with good intention, but we're now seeing the realities of, of what inequity means. And, and I, you know, again, just trying to understand uh, the added challenge of people of color who are being overly um, impacted by COVID-19. Uh, it's just it's just exponentially raising this topic as like here we are and for me the big question is there's not a ton we're going to do about it now but what happens when this is done like what do we just say that was too bad it's over but those issues are still there for people wow i think and you're right i think there's something to be said for 
the ways that uh, resources get, I guess, uh, doled out, and then the, the ways that structures currently work against so many of our students. So we think about, for example, what a school day usually look, looks like. And usually, because of the way that we adopted schooling in the United States, it's broken up by Carnegie units. And you have, what let's say, 45 minutes per period. And schooling is supposed to look a certain way. And bells are supposed to tell us where we go, where we come, yada, yada. And then, you know, that's it. And uh, if your school has uniforms in it, then everybody pretty much looks the same. And, you know, everything is yeah. supposed to be standardized, right? But in a state that we're in right now, students have taken it forcefully upon themselves to reveal whether they can abide by that schedule or not. So well, I literally have students who have only dedicated one to two days a week towards schooling stuff, and they'll just turn in eight assignments on that day. Um, and that'll be that. And of course, progressive educators have argued about, you know, Carnegie units and whether to be thoughtful about learning in this way for a long time. But this crisis has made it such that um, we don't do this out of some sort of progressive ideal, but because of survival. And so many of our students are feeling that in a very profound way. So innovation often comes, you know, in, in, in really interesting ways. And I, I would say in some devastating ways as well. Yeah. And, and that's that, that idea that we, and I, you know, I, I see both sides of it, right? The things that we do in those kind of units that are intended to make all kids the same, whether it's uniforms or time or whatever. And, you know, I think progressive educators, we, like you said, we've argued whether those have really done it or not. However, like I look at those and thinking, well, at least for a moment, a kid gets to feel whether, whether it's reality or not, that maybe I'm like everybody else. And maybe I have some, you know, because I look the same at this point or whatever. Right. So mm -hmm. part of me thinks about, well, you know, maybe, maybe we've been, you know, there was some goodness in those sort of, you know, in some ways antiquated ideas, but at the same time, uh, they just mask. <laughs> That's all they've done is they've just masked the fact that, yeah, but if you go, if you go about two layers deep, yeah, the, the sameness is, is out the window. And, and we've always been trying to say, well, like, let's, let's identify individuals as individuals and figure out how to help them. And, and now this is true. So, um, I just want to touch on as a New York city educator, what are you being told or what is the mandate? Like what's your job right now? And expect as far as expectations go. I mean, I'm used to getting in trouble when I talk anyway, so I'm just going to put it out there. Go for I, it. You know, I feel like the, the majority of this work is really about assignment management and, um, I guess every so often a sprinkle of, you know, virtual meeting or whatever have you. I don't necessarily think that we have a very clear expectation, except to say that we need to be flexible and considerate and thoughtful, which I think is the right. Like, there's something to be said for actually trusting educators to actually guide the, the, the boat as it gets built when we don't know what the end goal is going to be. So like there's that outer layer where they say, oh, we're flying the plane as we build it. No, actually we're flying the plane as we build it, as we don't know the direction that we're going in. Like <laughs> it'd be, at least there was a point where we thought we knew where we're going. No, we don't actually know where we're going. So I'm happy that, you know, I've been given some sort of autonomy in the way of saying like, hey, maybe I just want to give two really good assignments 
create my videos that serve as lessons of sorts. And then I can do office hours where I invite specific subgroups of kids who may not be as active and or the people who voluntarily say, hey, I don't get this and I need your help. Like I'm, that is cool with me because it alleviates a lot of the stress. Because for me, I felt like this, this weight on me when we first started to try to replicate school. So I did try to do the do now opening activity and then do the lesson with all the kids in the Google Meet and then try to like create an assignment and then try to do a closing and to what effect, right? Like I, I, I lost, I felt like <laughs> I lost a lot of time just trying to do that instead of being more thoughtful about the way that kids are engaging right now. Well, and, and uh, you know, it speaks to the fact that, that leaders are, are in a position where they no longer have any, they know they don't have any expertise in this. So it's sort of a forced autonomy in most cases. Like how can, how in the world could I expect to tell you what to do? I don't even know. I have no idea what to do. Um, the New York city school system itself is a fascinating conversation <laughs> that we could go into. And I, you know, every time I kind of learn about it, um, but uh, what, has there been any specific messaging from either a principal or somebody in leadership within that, that you've really appreciated? Like somebody that's reached out in a, in a really human personal way and it's messaged you that makes you feel like, okay, that's, that's what I needed to hear. Is there any, has you had that experience? Believe it or not? Yes. My principal this year, and she's a new principal though. She's not a new assistant principal or a new educator, but she's a new principal she at one point recognized that many of our students were not turning work in in a timely fashion. And after she started getting feedback from some of us, she sent out a message to everybody that said, we need to be thoughtful about how many assignments we give to kids. And secondly, you need to take care of your own mental and physical health. Like I hadn't heard anything like that from any administrator and it's been 15 years. Like, wow. That, that was a big deal for me because for once I felt like the things that I was actually telling an administrator were actually being brought to the whole staff uh, as far as, uh, I guess, you know, self-care and community care. And it's not like the, the entirety of teachers do a very good job of being graceful with themselves. Um, I, I would say that this administrator, like she just totally leaned on you know what, I'm going to be a human being and I'm not going to do the things that everybody says I should be doing. So there are administrators right now who are all over teachers, trying to micromanage, being in like the, the meets and just like the Zooms and, you know, overseeing what's happening for 30 whole minutes. And it's like, no, no, that's, that's not what you want to do. You're not trying to replicate an observation. You're trying to be very thoughtful and engaging and then also give your teachers the freedom to say, hey, like, I just want to interact with kids and I'm going to be a human being about this. And that really, that really touched me in a really profound way. I was happy to hear that. Well, interesting, you know, cause my, I, my belief is that the bigger the bureaucracy, the more challenge it is to humanize it. Right. And so like, yes. how do you, how do you sort of, how do you break through that? And that's why anytime I think about large school districts, I'm, I'm, I'm highly attuned to, well, where's the humanity in this? I get it. Right. When you've got, whatever you have a million students or whatever the crazy number is um like it's it's a machine and and machines and organizations you know choose bureaucracy and policies over humanity and sometimes it's just a 
that's it, it, hard not to do that, right? It's just hard not to. So when you tell me stories like that, like that's, I'm just looking for that, like figure out a way, figure out a way to be human in this. And, and, you know, hopefully it's forcing more of that, but, but I, I, I would hate to ask too many other New York city teachers if they've experienced the same thing. Cause you're, you're, you're sending me a message that maybe they aren't. So, uh, but we'll leave it at that. Um, so you, I mean, there's certainly lots of problems, immediate problems that we're dealing with right now. And, and, and you've kind of touched on them in some ways. I, I wonder how you think about moving forward and, and New York city will be unlike most likely one of the last places to kind of open up and get back to whatever. What do you worry about moving forward with this, that, that the challenges that, that you're concerned about, again, beyond just sort of the, you know, right now the assignment issues and, and the things that you're concerned about now, but what's the long-term concerns you have? Mainly that adults will have learned nothing from any of this. That we'll just go directly back to where we were last. And that's a conversation that is political, that's economic, that's social. Um, there are levels to all this that we have. That's organizational and structural. The idea, for example, that uh, we would be able to quickly transform the nation's largest public school system in a week and a day, um, that says a lot about the professionalism and the care and the love that educators have. And yet, the way that we often get typecast, as you're well aware, across the world in many cases, um, suggests otherwise, right? So I would hope that we learn serious lessons about what it means to actually be thoughtful and engaging and care about students, because you've heard this time and again, but we don't teach the subjects that we teach. We teach students, first and foremost, these subjects that we teach. So me as an educator, I'm always thoughtful, and I'm like, if I'm, let's say I decided all of a sudden I wanted to teach English for whatever reason, social studies, like I think I would be adept at doing that because of the relationships I build with students first and foremost, and then we'd get right. the, to the content at some point. Um, I don't think a lot of people will have learned that. Um, I, I'm scared for that part, that we're just going to go right back to the conversations we were having before and not the ones that need to happen about the students. Yeah, absolutely. And then, the flip side, and I, I, I without it being, <laughs> without it being exactly the, the the reverse of what you said, like what are your hopes though? Like what what do you sort of, I mean, obviously that's going to be a big one that we 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 understand the nature of teaching in a different way, but but anything else that you think about, you know what? Like I think I or something that maybe you're even seeing now that suggests to you, I think this might be the thing, the positive that sticks maybe grades aren't as critical as people thought they were. Maybe, um, and these are, this is actually a list of hopes in my mind. Maybe um, tests and standardized tests weren't exactly the measure we were looking for. They were always flawed, but now even more so. Um, maybe the ways that we had considered like schooling and what high expectations looks like, um, especially when you thought you had a really well-structured class and then when they had the opportunity to come see you online. None of them showed up. Um, that says a lot about the relationship between the adults and the students in some ways, uh, in my opinion. Um, maybe at some point, you know, schools need to be considerate about just asking, how are you, uh, before anything else, when people walk into the school building. Um, 
And maybe there's something to be said for like understanding that school buildings don't just offer academic services, that we offer any number of a wide range of services that are often intangible. And being able to name those things is just as important as whatever numbers that we want to attach to so many of our children. I mean, these are the things that I really like want to tune into because they have implications across systems, across cultures, across any number of identity markers we can, you know, touch on right now. But for me, like that, that level of trust and care and foundation is so critical to what we deem to be school right now. Well, and I think obviously you're not alone in, in uh, those kind of hopes and dreams. And uh, my experience uh, uh, suggests that, that that is an inequity across education in that some places are farther ahead with that conversation. They're just doing those things already. And I get excited when I hear about that, but I also know, uh, you know, in a lot of, a lot of situations like you speak of, uh, they're not, they're not getting there as quickly as, as they need to be, but, uh, you're the kind of people I think that are in the right positions to help foster those conversations. Um, so before I close, uh, I just want to give you the last word about anything else that you wanted to share that I didn't ask you, uh, you know, again, this, your, your expertise and your experience uh, really warrants, uh, well, you do, you do a lot of presentations and sharing in your work. You talk about your math, uh, the, the math work, and I know you're very revered for that too, but anything else just you want to share that you think, uh, just an important thing for, for folks to think about? Gosh, you know, um, something that comes up for me a lot is, that at our best, teachers are always asked to be superhuman. Educators are often asked to be superhuman. What I mean by that is like, there's the normal things that people are asked to do. They could go, they go to their jobs, they do their job, and then they leave their job, and then they could actually leave their job at their job. Like they go home and they don't have to think too much about their profession. Teachers on the on the hand are are under any number of uh, spoken and unspoken rules around morals and ethics and the ways that we have to carry ourselves and even social media mandates, like there and, and the ways that like people are asked to engage around teaching makes us superhuman um, in many ways, ask us to be first responders. And now I think that was very evident with the way that our mayor in New York city and our governor in New York state, had constantly asked and leaned upon us to keep schools open even when we needed a mental health break. So with that, I'm going to encourage every educator and anybody who's listening at this point to try their best to not go and extend themselves further. In fact, I would suggest that you wanna divide that at least by four and tone that down. Less is really more because you need to preserve yourself. At a point now where so many of us are, have blurred the lines between work and home, it is so critical for us to you know, say, hey, I did nothing today and that's okay. Um, I did not pick up 20 different uh, things or hobbies that I'm supposed to be doing because now I'm at home. No, actually I feel like you need to do a whole lot less. And if it just means you want to stick to the basics, like, oh, I did my chores, I ate three square meals, I you know, hung out with my family, um, that's pretty good and that's as far as it needs to go and you know when i talked about replicating school you do not have to do that the kids actually admire <laughs> teachers who say you know what let's take a step back and really be thoughtful about the fact that maybe most of our kids are not turning in everything 
it's okay for you not to do not to be superhuman. Just take it down a notch, and you're gonna survive. Hopefully, uh, what we're calling a pandemic or epidemic now. Yeah, no, that, what a powerful uh, statement. I'm I'm so glad you stated that because I, I often. It's, you know, I think about, and I've written about it a few times around this idea of the gaps, the, the inequity and everything. Like, I can't, like, there's, there's this fine line between I want to acknowledge it and I want to fight for it, but I mm-hmm. know that that's not my job individually. Like, we need to be collectively, like, these, are, these aren't just educational problems, they're economic problems, they're political mm-hmm. problems, and so it invites a larger group. And I think sometimes teachers have taken on this myth of, well, I can solve everybody's problem and do it. Like I'm, I'm not a trauma person, right? Like, so when a kid has trauma in their life, like I want to be raise my hand and say, like, I want to help, but like, I, that's not my area of expertise. And I can't lay my whole life over to this. Cause as you said, I like, I have a life too. And I want to make sure that I'm healthy and well to do, to take care of myself and the job I have. Like we, we can't do all things for all kids all the time. And I think sometimes, you know, that's, that's the, you know, uh, we, we look to that as being, well, that's what a great teacher does. And I mean, I, great teachers care, but there's a, there's a difference between, you know, thinking you can solve all the problems, but I, I do think this is my, that I'm, I'm, I want to at least problem find and identify, we need to think about this and think about this. I can't solve them all, but I know they're there. And, and, uh, and I think that idea you talk about of like step, taking a step back, is where we are now uncovering so many of the things that, you know what, I didn't realize Mm -hmm. this is a bigger thing than I had thought of. I, I, again, now the next step isn't okay. Now I'm going to go solve it. (laughs) The next (laughs) step is like, who else needs to be part of this conversation uh, that can help us solve this problem. So we'll continue to advocate for, you know, those who, who need help, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are the ones that (laughs) then become the superheroes to save the, solve the problem. Yeah. That's so important. anyway, you've, you've given me so much of your time and, and, uh, um, I need to, I need to spend more time with you and I will online for sure. And I just appreciate so much of what you do. So thank you, first of all, for everything you're doing. I want you to stay well and be well and keep doing what you're doing, but thanks for this time. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. It's a blessing.